Hey everyone, and welcome to Mind Body Green's beauty podcast, Clean Beauty School. I'm your host and beauty director, Alexandra Engler. So today's topic is something that I've become increasingly interested in as I've learned more about it, how hormones affect our appearance. Of course, on some level, I understand that hormones do influence how we look from our hair to our complexion. You know, many of us see firsthand the changes that our skin goes through during hormonal shifts. That can be things like acne during puberty, flare-ups when you're on your period, changes in your skin and your texture if you're transitioning. And finally, if you're going through menopause, you likely know that your skin changes. It becomes additionally confusing because hormones affect all of us differently to varying degrees at different points in our lives. Hormones are always fluctuating, and they're influenced by quite a few factors from food to sleep to stress. So there's a lot to unpack here. And even as someone who prides herself in understanding quite a lot about skincare, it's actually an area that I've really only scratched the surface of my own understanding. So that's why I brought on a dear friend of Mind Body Green to explain it to myself and hopefully you. Today, I want to welcome board-certified dermatologist, Dr. Kira Barr. So she is a dermatologist who specializes in hormone-related skin issues and hormone imbalances in general. I can't wait to dive in with her. So welcome, Dr. Barr. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you. You know, just so everyone knows your story and can get introduced to your expertise, can you just tell us how you got into dermatology in general? And then, you know, why did you decide to make this shift into a hormone-focused practice? I would, you know, I'd love to hear that backstory too. Yeah, I, I love all these questions. You know, I, we can, I feel like we can never connect the dots going forward. It's always backwards. And I think for me, getting into dermatology, it really started in my childhood, being made fun of for what was on my skin. And really at a young age, being so acutely aware that our skin can be a source of shame and embarrassment and discomfort. And so when I went into medical school, it was this opportunity to kind of harness that acute awareness, pair it with a specialty where you never had to make a decision. You could treat everything from from babies to adults and learn about histology and aesthetics and surgery. So I could really help people globally feel comfortable and confident in the skin they're in. And um, so that was, you know, why dermatology was so appealing for me. The other thing is our skin truly is a window to and reflection of our overall health and well-being, specifically our hormonal health. And it was in my early 40s, I started to suffer from some severe hormonal issues. And at the time, my doctors didn't even talk to me about perimenopause or menopause. It wasn't even an option. And I was having bloating and anxiety and migraines and raging PMS. And because my doctors were not cueing in to the clues that my body was sharing, that my skin, my all the things, I actually wound up having to have a hysterectomy. And I thought, oh my God, if I as a physician had no clue what was happening in my body, couldn't connect the dots, how, how are other women supposed to do this? And I knew there had to be a better way. So I feel like it is my my mess has become my mission to really help support women as they're transitioning through perimenopause and menopause to 
to support them with bioidentical hormones, to really use what's happening on their skin with hair loss and other changes as clues that, hey, your hormones are out of balance. Hey, you might need some support here. And so that's really what led me to focus in this area is because I, you know, my own health debacle. <laughs> you know, I think what you say rings so true. You're a doctor and you had trouble reading the signs and understanding what was happening in your own bodies. How can we expect the average person to be able to do the same? Not to mention, we so rarely talk about hormone changes openly. It's just not something we talk about that much between ourselves, in the media, on social media itself. You know, So how do people know to be a aware of these signs and how do they know what to be paid attention to? How do they know how to interpret it in their own body? So that all being said, we should totally lay the groundwork here. I think most people understand that hormones do affect the way we look on some level. Um, You know, I think that people probably perceive changes that they go through at different stages in their lives and they can kind of make that connection there. But We also know that the connection is much deeper than that. And we also know that there's a lot of things that are happening in the body when you're seeing these hormone shifts show up in your skin and hair. So I want to get an understanding of how do hormones affect the skin? How do they affect the way we look? It's a broad question. I know, but you know, I think you can handle it. I know. I love this question. And you know, when we think about hormones, I think many people may think specifically about sex hormones, but there are so many other hormones in our body that can affect the skin. And the other thing that I think is really interesting to to unpack is that when we think about hormones, oftentimes we think of it as a top-down scenario where the brain is sending signals to, you know, the, the hypothalamus is sending signals to your pituitary and your adrenals or from the, you know, the HPA axis or the hypothalamus to pituitary to the thyroid or the hypothalamus pituitary to your sex organs to produce all these various hormones. Okay, what a mouthful. Let's go over that just a little bit slower. Your hypothalamus is located in the central region of your brain. It's responsible for sending signals to both your pituitary and adrenal glands. Those regulate your body temperature, thirst, hunger, sleep, emotions. Basically, its role is keeping the body in homeostasis. You may also hear this system called the HPA axis, which just means the hypothalamus, pituitary, and adrenal axis. And then those chemicals that are released in the hormones you know, circulate throughout the body and your skin has receptors to receive them. And, and then there's downstream effects. But what many people may not appreciate is that the skin itself has the same capacity to generate hormones. So our skin actually has the ability to generate cortisol and adrenaline and noradrenaline. It has the ability to generate DHEA and the sex hormones. So the skin is very unique in that it can receive information circulating throughout the body and it can produce these hormones as well. So it can be kind of a a double-edged sword of what you are experiencing can generate issues with your skin. What your skin is perceiving can also generate some, some changes that you may see visibly. And so when we talk about what hormones can affect the skin, you know, you mentioned stress. 
And I think cortisol being you know, our primary stress hormone is one that significantly impacts the skin. Because when we think about the hormones, I always like to think of it as kind of an upside down triangle with cortisol at the top, maybe insulin is below that, thyroid hormones, and your sex hormones are actually at the very bottom. So when we are stressed, when our body, when our brain sends those signals, when our skin can send those signals and cortisol is generated, some of the biggest impacts you might see, especially from, let's just say from a aging perspective or vanity perspective, cortisol plays a significant role on our collagen and elastin. So those supportive tissues in the skin that really give us that supple, youthful appearance, well, cortisol breaks those tissues down. So accelerated fine lines and wrinkling. The other thing is that it also impairs repair. So wound healing is delayed. So that's kind of one of one of the big things that, that we may see. And then, you know, when our cortisol goes up, it impacts other hormones like our ability to sleep. And so that that diurnal variation of cortisol with melatonin. Well, melatonin is incredibly important for your skin. It only happens, you know, production is only at night. So you need a dark room. So we have can dive into the whole like sleep hygiene thing. But melatonin plays a significant role in skin repair. So from our environmental exposures, from some, from UV light and environmental exposures. And so when we're not getting that good sleep because we're stressed out, we're wired and tired, you're not generating that melatonin for skin repair. Melatonin also plays a role in hair growth. Then there's thyroid and the thyroid has on hair growth and skin texture, you know, when one of the clues. So I, this is what I love about the skin, right? You're, I always like to say your skin can be your biggest cheerleader. When you are sleeping well, when you're moving well, when you are nourishing yourself, mind, body, spirit well, your skin is going to reflect that you are going to glow from the inside out. When you're not doing those things, your skin is actually going to be the crappiest confidant you've ever had. It is going to tell all your secrets. Your skin is a gossip. Who knew? I think many people, especially women, would see that, would see that gossip and be like, oh, and just beat themselves up and think like, oh my God, my skin is sabotaging me. I look awful. And I would love to reframe that for women and say, hey, your skin is nudging you, giving you some information, some clues that girlfriend, you need a little, you know, pause you know, what's happening in your life, what's happening in your world, what can we do to support you? Yeah, I love that idea. You know, we so often talk about how your skin is an indicator of your internal health. And sometimes we can say that in a negative way. Like if you, if you're having a bad skin day, then, you know, that must be that, you know, your internal health is bad. And perhaps we just reframe it to this idea of, it doesn't have to be that dramatic and you don't have to feel that bad about it. You're just, your skin is just saying, Hey, pay attention to me, pay attention to what's happening inside. You know, clearly something is happening that we need to course correct, whether that's you need to get more sleep, whether that's you need to find stress management, whether that's, you know, you're, you're maybe not eating as healthy as you should be. There's, there's so many things that your body could be telling you. And it's not, you know, it's not a bad thing that your body is telling you. In fact, it's a really good thing that your body is signaling to you that perhaps it's not feeling its best. Absolutely. So we haven't yet talked in depth about the sex hormones. And, you know, I do think that this is obviously something that comes up in various stages of people's lives. You know, it can be puberty, it can be menopause, it can be those who are on cycles, it can be 
for those who are going through a transition. Can you explain a little bit more how sex hormones influence the skin? So we, when we think about sex hormones, we're thinking about estrogen, progesterone, DHEA, and testosterone, and each one can impact the skin. You know, we always, when we think about the sex hormones for, in, in women, especially, we think of estrogen as like the predominant. And estrogen plays a significant role in the skin in terms of, you know, I mentioned collagen formation, that supportive tissue that gives us that youthful, supple appearance and increased elasticity and helping with tone and texture. Estrogen plays a big role in collagen production, especially a type 3 collagen. So you just heard her mention type 3 collagen. In fact, there are at least 28 kinds of collagen that we know of in the body. However, type 1 through type 3 are the most common. Research has found that type 3 collagen decreases in the skin with age. Type 1 also decreases, but to a lesser degree, perhaps implying that type 3 collagen is the larger driver and factor in skin aging. While we don't know this to be the case for sure, we do know that type 3 collagen is very important in fibroblast function. Fibroblasts are what actually produce collagen and elastin itself. Interesting, right? It also plays a role in moisture and hydration because it generates the what we call mucopolysaccharides, essentially hyaluronic acid. What women are spending money to, spending money to have filler, which is hyaluronic acid, well, estrogen plays a role in producing that naturally. So estrogen also plays a role in our hair growth. So our hair grows in three different phases, a resting phase, a falling out phase, and a resting phase, a growing phase, a resting phase, and a falling out phase. And that's why when when women are pregnant, their hair is luscious and, and these, these beautiful locks because estrogen um, is increased in pregnancy and it it extends that growth phase. So when estrogen in menopause, perimenopause is dropping, that's why some women may see a decreased density in their hair because you know that that growth phase is now being shortened. And there's some some other roles that it plays. Progesterone also plays a significant role in hair. And Progesterone is important for women especially because starting in our mid to late 30s, it's the first hormone to noticeably start to decline. And progesterone also is, is known as the great calmer, right? It, it interplays with our neurochemicals GABA, which helps calm and relaxation. So women in our mid to late 30s, if you're noticing that you're feeling more anxious, you're not really changing much, but all of a sudden you're more anxious, you're not sleeping as well, it may be linked to some of the changes that you're seeing with your progesterone. And this is where just knowing your body and, and, and tuning into those signals is so important. For hair growth, this is what's fascinating. So, you know, especially in instances of like women who may experience PCOS, progesterone plays a really significant role in inhibiting the conversion of testosterone, the male hormone, to its more potent form, dihydrotestosterone, by inhibiting an enzyme called 5-alpha reductase. So on the face, DHT, the dihydrotestosterone, causes hair growth. On the scalp, it can cause hair diminishment. So androgenetic alopecia. So it has this paradoxical effect. I'm not sure if we actually know why it, or at least I personally have not in the literature been able to sort that out yet. 
but we know it does have that opposite effect. So this is why when when progesterone is diminishing in menopause or there's an imbalance, especially in PCOS, without the adequate levels of progesterone to block that enzyme, the more potent form of the testosterone is elevated. So when women are getting hairs on their chinny chin chin, those coarse dark hairs, that's part of the reason why women as they are going through menopause are, are noticing thinning hair, a widening part, decreased hair density. That's part of the reason progesterone is playing a big role on that. We also know there are some studies, not as many as the ones in, with estrogen, that progesterone does play a role in skin elasticity and helping with uh, tone and texture as well. So testosterone, you know, one of the, the roles that it plays, I mentioned, is in hair growth and hair loss, but we also know it plays a role in stimulating those oil glands. So it does help keep the skin um, hydrated and smooth and, and progesterone may play a role in oil gland secretion as well. But it's one of the reasons why some women are may notice that they are breaking out around their period or are breaking out in the menopausal phase of life, perimenopausal phase of life when they have not before, because again, it's a relative imbalance. As estrogen and, and progesterone are decreasing and testosterone is not necessarily increasing, but it's staying at a higher level and it's stimulating those oil glands, which and and then you know contributing to one of the major factors that causes acne. So I do want to talk about that, the various stages in our life that we may notice, these hormone shifts. You know, I think people's first introduction to this is probably during puberty. I don't know how many teen listeners we have, but perhaps some of our listeners do have kids at home that are in their teens. So, you know, what's what's happening during puberty that you do see these massive shifts in our skin, in our hair, and our appearance? What's happening there? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And for every individual, I think it's really important to know that everyone's experience may be, may be different. And it's not just the hormones themselves, right? It's the environment in which those hormones are in. We know that sleep is going to have a significant impact. Talked about the cortisol levels and cortisol, you know, I know we were going to circle back to cortisol, but but I want to bring it up now because what happens when when there are stressors, whether real or perceived, right? Emotional stressors, physical stressors, environmental stressors, environmental being the personal care products we use, the air that we're breathing, the water that we're drinking, and the and the toxic burden that may occur in our bodies and have to process that. But as our stress hormone increases or our need for it to increase because our body is perceiving stress, that HPA axis, right? That hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, our body needs to produce cortisol. That is our survival mechanism, our fight or flight, and our body needs to get into action. What happens as a downstream effect of that is your body is prioritizing production of cortisol, which means that hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis, which is producing those sex hormones, is taking a back seat because when your body perceives that it's in danger, fertility is, is not a priority. So some of the things, especially in teenagers too, and in all stages of life, there's some stressors that are happening, right? Your body is, is changing the pressures from school. We're now in COVID and oh my gosh, right? So some of it, you know, it's, it's the environment in which the hormones are actually trying to navigate themselves. And there may be suppression of, of the production of certain hormones, which create those imbalances again, like progesterone right? If that is decreased, 
and, and we can't block the conversion to the more potent form of testosterone, and that testosterone is just affecting those oil glands and pumping out more oil and, and creating a, a greater environment for acne and, you know, and changes in the skin barrier integrity. So is estrogen and progesterone decreasing, right? The skin barrier integrity is going to be affected, the microbiome itself, and so irritation and itch. And there's a really interesting interplay between estrogen and progesterone and mast cell production. So estrogen, so so when you talk about mast cells, it's a cell that creates itch and irritation. Why as hormones are fluctuating potentially at all stages of life, that people with eczema may have flares. It's not just the all that's impacting the skin barrier. It's it's the estrogen and progesterone that help modulate the activity of those cells that can contribute to itching. So there's a lot of factors, you know, in puberty, you know, hormones are revving up in terms of their production. But again, it's the environment in which those hormones are taking place. Are they nourishing themselves with foods that will support production of these hormones? And also teenagers, hey, you know, I know that I eat crappy then. And so we know that sugar and dairy, and there's some other foods for some people can, can directly trigger oil glands and cause significant irritation and flares in the skin. So again, it's kind of this global picture that we need to take a look at. Yeah. I think that's such an important point to bring up this idea that you need to look at the whole picture of your hormones and your health, because you know, it all interacts with each other in such unique ways to you. You know, you can't compare your circumstances to others because we know that hormones are not one size fits all. And, you know, what, what happens to me isn't the same that's going to happen to my friend or to you or to, you know, somebody who's listening to this. We all come to this with different variables that are going to affect us. Yeah, I agree. And I think also when... This is also the beautiful thing about social media, and it's also a dangerous thing about social media. I see a lot of information going back and forth. You know, someone tries some supplement or they they hear something and, you know, it's not a one size fits all or a quick fix and women get discouraged or they do something that may not serve them very well. So I think, you know, when you are struggling with a health challenge to be able to seek out help to not necessarily try doing it alone. There's a lot of things we can do, you know, focusing on our sleep hygiene and, and cleaning up our diet and all those things. But when it comes to hair loss, when it comes to symptoms of menopause and other things, to get the support, right? And not just listen to, you, you wind up spending a lot of time, energy, money, and resources on things that may not work for your individual case. And so I think it's so valuable to understand you are unique. A lot of, we have a lot of similarities but your particular situation may not fit in neatly into a box and not to, uh, I guess, to have compassion for yourself and, and not to worry that it, things aren't going to work out for you. It's just, you just maybe need to get the, the support to, to guide you through that. Let's talk about menopause. I know this is a subject of your expertise. I also know that this is something that you have personal experience with. I also know that it's something that's not necessarily talked a lot about in the general media. So I do want to dive in here. What changes can people expect to see when they are going through menopause? Perhaps people feel like they don't have too many outlets to turn to when they're going through these changes. They don't know what to expect and they don't know what to do. So let's let's talk about it. Yeah, I think this is an amazing topic. And, and as you noted, 
shared at the beginning, it's one that doesn't get talked about very much. I think, you know, I didn't even really understand what perimenopause was. You know, I always thought menopause was for older people, right? Like I, when I was in my 40s, I was like, I don't have to worry about that for a long time. Well, the average age of menopause is 51. The average age of me uh, perimenopause is 47. But for many of us, it can be a five, 10 year period of, you know, as our hormones are declining, we're experiencing symptoms for quite some time. And especially when it comes to our skin as the most visible organ, it's really an opportunity to see how some of those changes in our hormones can be reflected. And so one of them is skin dryness, right? Women are noticing a change in their the tone, the texture. They're noticing that they're really dry, their face, especially their lower extremities. And that's because that estrogen, one of its primary jobs, is to create that hyaluronic acid, that moisture content for the skin. And as that diminishes, you know, you will notice that. The other thing also is that the pH of our skin changes as we uh, mature as well. Usually the there's an acid mantle on the skin and more acidic. And so that can change and, and increase, which can change the microbiome. So we want an acidic environment on our skin to help keep the bad bugs out and keep a relative balance. And as that changes, as we get older, it can make us more vulnerable to break breakdown in the skin barrier, itch, irritation, more sensitive to products. Even if you had been using them forever, you may notice that you might need to change the products that you're using. And I think one of the biggest things too, is when we think about skin, Many of us may not appreciate that your intimate bits, your vaginal skin, your vulvar skin is skin, right? So women are noticing like, oh my God, it hurts to have sex. And and the, let's just talk about the change in your, your mindset too. It's like, I used to have a sex drive. Like I don't even want to want it. Or if I do want it, now it's uncomfortable. I'm bracing for impact. And that impacts the relationship and the intimacy that you have with your partner. And so... Sometimes that's one of the first places or, or, you know, urinary frequency or urgency because of vaginal atrophy, because that estrogen is going down, it's causing irritation. So I think the skin, you know, is, is a great harbinger of like, Hey, these things are happening and hair, you know, with estrogen and hair, women may be, may be experiencing thinning hair, hair loss. It's not just female pattern hair loss. We know that what we call chronic telogen effluvium can happen. And that is the type of hair loss where those growing phases that I talked about, the growing phase, the resting phase, falling out phase, more of the hair gets shifted to that falling out phase for a myriad of reasons. So instead of having bald patches, which you might see in an autoimmune type of alopecia, like alopecia areata or some of the like uh, lupus, for instance, which is a scarring hair loss, we're talking about non-scarring hair loss where you may notice a widening of your part, decreased hair density, the texture of the hair may change a little bit more dull, maybe more brittle. So those are the kinds of changes you may experience as well. So what can people do when they start experiencing this? Yeah, I love this question. And I think, you know, even though I do offer hormone replenishment therapy and, and I love the that I can offer it in an organic oil base, right? Because what we put on our skin matters. And so much of what's on the market has a lot of preservatives that can um, irritate the skin or potentially even cause endocrine disruption. 
So endocrine disruptors, it's a topic that comes up quite a bit in clean beauty. It's worth popping in here to talk about. So these are ingredients that disrupt your normal hormone balance. This can happen in a variety of ways. They mimic your body's natural hormones, then influence your hormone receptors or they can block your natural hormones from reaching those hormone receptors. Finally, they can simply increase or decrease the normal levels of hormones that you have in your body. Now, remember how Barr said that your skin has the ability to create its own hormones? Well, that's why we need to be careful about applying endocrine disruptors topically too, as they can influence this process. But that's not necessarily where I want to start. Again, it goes back to the environment and really empowering women with things that they can do for themselves. And we know that symptoms of menopause, like the hot flashes, the warm rushes, the brain fog, the low energy, and it all ties back to how are you living? How are you truly nourishing yourself? You know, I think as working professional women or stay-at-home moms, you are juggling so many different things and you're probably go, 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 and may go into the point you just collapse into bed. So really looking at your sleep ritual, your nighttime ritual, you know, are you giving yourself time to wind down? Because again, that sleep is so important. Beauty sleep is real. If I can even just appeal to your vanity, but again, respecting your body's natural rhythm with the cortisol and that melatonin and cortisol will wreak havoc. I mean, cortisol, when it's that fight or flight, you are looking to increase it. Your body needs fuel. So what's it going to do? Increase insulin to release blood sugar. If you're not actually under a true threat, that blood sugar is circulating around, not getting used. Eventually it's going to deposit as fat, get converted to fat around that middle, that menopause muffin top. You know, that's one of the reasons why we want to keep our stress levels in check. We can't avoid stress, but we need to manage it. So that's one of the other things that I work really closely with women. You know, I have uh, advanced training in mind, body medicine, and really teaching women tools that they can do quickly and simply so that, you know, taking care of yourself is not on your to-do list. It's actually on the for you list, things that you can do in seconds. So really looking at diet, um, how we can maybe clean up the diet to minimize those hot flashes. Like I'm a big fan of sugar, not sugar, not a big fan of sugar, but <laughs> good dark chocolate and a glass of wine. But we know that if you have those things later in the afternoon or evening, you're going to wind up with more severe hot flashes. So just learning how your body responds and shifting things back. So, you know, how to fill your plate, focusing on our sleep, our stress, and moving our body in a way that serves because more isn't always better. So that's kind of when, when women, when we get started, it's really doing an, a life assessment and seeing where, where can we make small changes to leverage huge shifts for their symptoms in their body. And the other thing to be mindful of is when we're under chronic stress, like hello pandemic, right? The thing to also appreciate, especially when it comes to effects on the hair, right? Those, those three cycles of hair growth you may not see the downstream effects right away because if you're experiencing stress at point A, it may, it, depending on, and not all your hair is in the same cycle at the same time, it may take three to six months to see the downstream effect. So you experience a physical stress, emotional stress, whatever the perceived stress may be, 
three to six months down the road is when you're experiencing hair loss and you might be thinking, WTF, life is good right now. Why is this happening? And I just want to make sure that people understand that is why. You're not doing anything wrong. There's not something, you know, that you that that is going haywire. It's sometimes it takes your body a little time to catch up stress and then the downstream effect and so how to mitigate some of these things it all comes down to our perception what is the story that we are ascribing to what these stressors mean in our lives you know it's and and mindfulness and you know circumstances are what they are right we cannot change the circumstances what we can control though is how we think about them how we are going to decide how we're going to navigate through them. And then that decision helps us, you know, diffuse the impact that stress will have on our body. So that's a lot of, I think for me anyway, that has been the most useful. It's really about stress perception because you can avoid stress. In fact, you don't want to avoid stress in many situations because it helps you grow. So leverage it to your advantage. Like this is a, a crappy situation. How can I see this from a lens of what opportunities can I take from this rather than, oh my gosh, this is awful. There's nothing I can do. Well, I'm sure there's at least one thing that you can do. And when you empower yourself from that perspective, you're going to be able to shut down that that cortisol production to a certain degree right so i think that's if anything else that's my approach (laughs) okay so this is something that i am so curious about you hear so much about this idea of balancing your hormones i feel like i read it all the time on social media or in various stories where i hear experts talking about it and honestly i don't actually know what it means i don't know what it means to quote unquote balance your hormones or if it's something that you can even do or something that you should strive to do. So can you tell me what what we're getting at when we say balance our hormones? Yeah, I think this is a great topic. And in fact, on social media, there's like a big debate. Someone had posted something that, you know, from the traditional Western medicine side, like they don't believe in balancing that, that balancing hormones or hormone imbalance is a thing. And so I think it's, 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 <laughs> it's a can of worms, but it's an interesting conversation because our body likes to be, you know, in homeostasis, right? There is some sort of balance and, and nothing it may not be equal. Like the seesaw may be a little bit to one side or the other, you know, perfectly balanced, maybe in idealization, but this idea that things are working in harmony, that there's hormone that, that, you know, the analogy has been um, given about the hormones being a symphony. And when each hormone is doing what it's meant to do, you know, especially when, let's just say stress and, and cortisol, right? When there is a, a real or perceived threat, we want the cortisol to elevate, to be able to get us out of harm's way, and then go back down to its normal levels, go about your business so that the HPA access is working, that the HP, th- you know, the thyroid access is working, the HPG with our sex hormone protection is working the way it should. So we've got normal levels of hormones to meet all our functions and needs. The problem is that we are often feeling like we're under threat all the time, right? So then that cortisol 
is staying elevated. And then it does suppress those other pathways because your body is prioritizing its need for to be in survival mode. And so this idea that there is a relative imbalance, your body is prioritizing what it thinks it needs in the moment. And then you're going to see downstream effects of that. You know, you may have period irregularities, your menstrual cycle, your raging PMS, you might notice your hair is thinning or falling out, right? Because your body is not prioritizing production of those other hormones necessary to support those functions. So that's where that kind of concept of an imbalance is. And even especially in, in menopause, right? As estrogen, we know, I mean, well, starting with progesterone is naturally declining in our mid to late thirties, followed by estrogen decline. So testosterone isn't necessarily at increased levels, but in relationship to what was normal levels of progesterone and estrogen, there is now a relative imbalance between them. I love this phrase, hormone symphony. I think that is such a good way to visualize this issue because, you know, when we say balance, my mind goes directly to this idea that everything needs to be even. And clearly that's not what's happening nor what should be happening. As you explained, your body should have spikes and falls of different hormones at various times. And so what you actually need to be focusing on is how all these work together in tandem. I think that is such great visual. So, you know, the last thing I wanted to get to is what do you do? What do you do for your skin? What do you do for your body? You know, this, this is a products question, but it's also not a products question. One of my most firm beliefs that there is no product in the world that can replace taking care of yourself. So yeah, I'd love to hear about your overall routine. Yeah, it's funny, you know, as a, as a dermatologist, as I, my subspecialty was dermatopathology, so I was behind the microscope, so I was not really focusing on aesthetics or cosmetics, so I am not a product junkie. <laughs> I am very simplistic in my, my skincare routine, so from a topical perspective, you know, I'm using gentle cleansers. Sometimes I do use oil cleansers that I find are helpful when my skin is a little bit drier. Using a topical antioxidant serum morning and night, vitamin C, vitamin E. I love how Dr. Barr just mentioned that she uses a vitamin C and E serum. I too love a vitamin C and E serum, and I want to explain why it is so important to use both of these together. Vitamin C and E work in tandem to increase each other's efficacy. So vitamin C is a water-soluble vitamin, so it's actually able to work inside the skin cell, while vitamin E is a lipid-soluble vitamin. So vitamin E works in the cell membrane, and then they're able to act as each other's heightment, kind of, and they supercharge each other as they're working on the skin cell. Finally, vitamin E is able to stabilize the notoriously unstable vitamin C. And some other ingredients, pomegranate, resveratrol, well, resveratrol is probably best orally, but there are some good ingredients. And then an exfoliant type of ingredient, like a topical retinoid or retinoid variant like Bacuchiol, I think is really helpful. And then we know that 90% of the visible signs of aging are from environmental exposures like UV radiation and air pollution. And so wearing a moisturizer that has SPF in it daily is really important. And I just want to, you know, kind of bring a topic that many people may not think about. So you may be in, still working from home, 
But if you're like me, where I'm sitting in front of a window and in front of my screen, so I'm getting blue light and I'm getting the ultraviolet A rays are coming through that window glass. The ultraviolet A rays are the longer penetrating rays. They're known as the aging rays and they penetrate into the dermis and can break down the collagen and the elastin and contribute to signs of aging. They also play a role in skin cancer production, but any just from the signs of visible aging. And then the blue light from the high energy visible light from our devices, you know, studies have now shown that that could play a role in hyperpigmentation. It could play a role in changing the collagen and the elastin. So even when you're indoors, um, wearing a moisturizer that has sunscreen and to help block the blue light, one that has that's tinted, that has the iron oxides. And there are maybe some botanicals in certain products that can help as well. So, so even if you're indoors, protecting your skin from the outside in is important. But for me personally, some of the biggest things that I do for my skin is really like right now I'm wearing a sleep tracker. I wear an aura ring to help me monitor my sleep because I know that how important sleep is for my overall health and well-being, for my stress levels, but also for my skin. So, you know, really prioritizing my sleep, moving in my, my body in a way that actually feels good. And I can determine in many ways how to move my body based on my what the data that my aura ring gives me with heart rate variability to know how is my body recovered? Do I push a little harder? Do I take it easy and do something more like Pilates or walking or yoga? And I think it's really valuable. And then having a mindfulness type of practice, you know, I used to think that that it felt impossible. Like I, my mind is always racing. I'm a very, you know, busy mind kind of a person. And acknowledging that if just a few deep breaths works, sometimes I do expressive meditations, you know, some chaotic breathing or, you know, even doing a dance party, just doing things to get me out of the overwhelm because it's really easy to get there, you know, when you're busy working and such. So, you know, sleep, my diet, you know, filling my plate with lots of fruits and, well, I don't really eat many fruits, but veggies to get those antioxidants, moving my body in mindfulness, and then layering on the cake with um, the topicals. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us. I thought this was such an illuminating conversation, and I definitely learned a lot more than I came in knowing this morning. So I had such a great time chatting with you, and I can't wait to chat again. So thank you, Dr. Barr. Oh my goodness. It's my pleasure. It's been so fun for me. Thank you so much. Hey guys, just popping back in here to say thanks for joining us this week at Clean Beauty School. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you're looking for more beauty content or just wellness content in general, don't forget to check out our website, mindbodygreen.com, our Instagram, mindbodygreen, and of course our parent podcast, the Mind Body Green Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks again. See you next week.